All right. Drew, would you start reading in verse 1 and let's just do the whole chapter because it's a pretty short chapter, I think. Which chapter are we in? 31, right? Yes. Alright. In the 11th year, the third month of the first day, the word of the Lord came. Oh, sorry. I'm reading out of the people. <laughs> I thought there's some translation differences, but man, that's a big difference right there. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Ezekiel. Well, you were with us when we did Ezekiel, right? Yeah. In the other room. Yeah. All right. All right. Isaiah 30. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and the great strength of their horsemen. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel, or seek help from the Lord. Yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against that wicked nation, against those who help the evildoers. But the Egyptians are mere, moral, are mere mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help will stumble. Those who are helped will fall. All will perish together. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls, a great lion over its prey. And though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So the Lord Almighty will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights, like birds hovering overhead. The Lord Almighty will shield Jerusalem, he will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. Return, you Israelites, to the one you have so greatly revolted against. For in that day, every one of you will reject the idols of silver and gold your sinful hands have made. Assyria will fall by no human sword. A sword not of mortals will devour them. They will flee before the sword, and their young men will be put to forced labor. Their stronghold will fall because of terror. At the sight of the battle standard, their commanders will panic, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. All right. Anybody remember singing the song Some trust in chariots And some in I'm going to stop singing Because I don't want to hear Anything more about that But Come on Am I the only one That remembers that song? Yeah Is that who it was? Yeah 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 but we trust In the name of the Lord Right. Yeah. What is all this rooted in? What is this Isaiah language rooted in? I'm sure you know, so let's just say it out loud. What's it? Yeah, but this this story, what's it rooted in? What what the seat of the Assyrians during Hezekiah's reign. You think that's it? I was thinking about the Egyptians. Yeah, don't you think it goes all the way back to Exodus, Chris? Well it does, but I'm talking about I mean, Oh yeah, but yeah. In the whole totalitarian of it, it's like Military alliance with Egypt. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's going to be worthless. Trusting God and I'll deliver you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it corresponds with Jeremiah. What Jeremiah? Which one? Where? It's the third deportation. It, it's the, the aspect of a prophecy towards the th- uh, third deportation. Because in Jeremiah, it goes to great lengths to talk about preparing yourself against the horses in the day of battle and how you're not going to be ready for that in chapter 12 and that you need to put your trust in God for that coming day of violence 
And so Jeremiah was saying, do this. And he and at that time, their primary alliance was with Egypt. And I think Sean brought it up last week, if I remember correctly, the, the removal of the firstborn of the throne and the replacement by a puppet king in Egypt propping him up and then Nebuchadnezzar removing him and propping up the next one which corresponds with Daniel chapter 3 I think it is and the fiery furnace and I think this is Isaiah seeing it ahead of time So does, does this have to correlate to um, some, you know, specific events? Because in my mind, it's him, it's God saying, hey, or woe to you who rely on Egypt, this huge power, as opposed to just trusting in God. And because he later on mentions in verse 8, it could be both, but in verse 8 he says, and the Assyrian will fall by a sword, not of man. So my understanding is the overall message of this text would be uh, that you should trust in God and not in some strong, powerful nation. Yeah, but who took down the Assyrians? I don't know all that. Yeah, No, no, no. Who took down the Assyrian Empire? The Babylonians. Oh, okay. Right. So who empowered them to do that? God raised them up. Right. So a sword not by man's hands. Yeah. But it, that's not the Egyptians, though. So I'm just saying, I think... No, but the, the Egyptians were present as the allies, and when the th- third deportation occurred, the remnant that was... A portion of the remnant that was left, including the prophet Jeremiah, were taken down into Egypt, where Jeremiah was uh, drawn and quartered. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they knew then that Babylon would pursue, and Babylon's next conquest was Egypt. At that time, Israel's sole purpose for Egypt was to be a buffer between them and Babylon. Mm. And when he took them, they punished the remnant of Israel by taking them into captivity. And the prophet, who was still lamenting and prophesying their destruction, was drawn and quartered for it. So their trust was in Egypt's protection. uh, To to, to back them from the Babylonians. That's good. That's helpful. The more we read this, the more we see how the scripture weaves literal and figurative language together seamlessly in order to make a point. And of course, we draw lessons for today. Sure. Absolutely. What are you referencing? Just a specific, anything specific? Well, it was literally trusting in Egypt. It was literally oh. trusting in horses. Yeah. But at the same time, the... The message apart from that is not so. I I, I don't I can't just say or I believe in a literal interpretation. So I'm not trusting in a horse. I'm trusting it in a nation. So there, I'm not violating this. I need to see the parallels that the author wants me to see. I need to recognize that I can trust in an ally or I can trust in the Lord for protection. You know, the literal interpretation is well, they were trusting in this nation and this only horses. 
but I need to see that as a symbolic representation yeah. of trusting in something larger than that. Yeah. Yet they were literal horses at that day that they were trusting in. And, that was, and that was their most powerful <clears throat> weaponry. Sure. So that was their military might. So we shouldn't trust in military might. We should trust in yeah. God. Yeah, I mean, they, they trust in the abundance of chariots. So I can say, well, I'm not trusting in chariots. I'm trusting in T-72 tanks or something like that, or A-1 Abrams. Caleb? Well, there, there's one side that, that natural part of us that struggles with thoughts like this, like maybe if I went to Egypt. you know, we. Yeah. But verse 1 says they went down to it. It's one thing when we struggle with those thoughts, but then they followed it up and they physically went and did it. Yeah, they right. went to their previous captors, which is crazy as well. And But um, another point that I think Dr. Farmer made last week was... Uh, oh, goodness, I think I'm just blanking right here. Yeah, give me a second, sorry. Okay. Well, if you use my name, you can't have a I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> no, Blake, take it out. What, where are you trying to go? I know. I, I just, uh, we were talking last week. Um, I, I, I may, it'll come to me and like continue the conversation if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> but he, isn't this interesting the way he ascribes to the Lord? He is also wise and brings disaster he does not go back on his ways. He will rise up against the house of the wicked and against the allies of the evildoers. There's this kind of this tit for tat going back and forth or this address this followed by this. Egyptians are not men, not God. Their horses are flesh, not spirit. When the Lord raises his hand to strike, the helper will stumble. The one who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. This is what the Lord said to me as a lion growls over its plate. When a band of shepherds is called out is called out against it, it is not terrified by their shouting. How do you understand verse 4? What is the message the prophet is communicating? I'll read it again. As a lion or young lion growls over its prey, when a band of shepherds is calling out against it, it is not terrified by their shouting or subdued by their noise. So the Lord of the armies will come down to fight Mount Zion and on its hill. How do you how do you understand that? The Assyrians and Babylonians weren't scared of the military might of Israel. They needed God to come fight for them because they couldn't do it on their own. Israel was a land of shepherds. Anyone else? Maybe a comparison or a parallel of seeing that, that the Lord of hosts is that unaffected, fierce lion. Yeah. And ready to carry out destruction. Yeah, it seems to me this message of comparison, and what are the what's the comparison, Clint? What evokes the the concept of the lion of Judah in my mind is what's being used here, that it's not like an anthropomorphism, it's not a Human characteristics, but they're using animal characteristics here to describe. I think. I mean, you know, we're looking at this from through a Christian lens. So, I think verse five is a giveaway that it's talking about the Lord as well, because it continues with more animal language, and it says, "So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem." Just 
just like the birds hovering. So let's really slow it down right now and see if we can just practice. Verse number four, you're in power hour, you're doing family devotions, you've got your children, and you're trying to explain to them this verse. We, 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 we have to work harder at our ability to make individual verses come alive. We've got to, because the language is, I mean, I can see myself acting this out with young people in power hour to get them to understand the message of the text, right? And and there's this dualistic event happening here. There's there's a lion and it's growling over a prey. And what are the shepherds doing? Pastor, can you can you model that for us? <laughs> I want to be a better teacher. <laughs> are you going to be the <laughs> All of us would appreciate it. No, I, I don't think all of us would appreciate it. But but I mean it, you. You have to create the visual here. Can you see the shepherds waving? Yeah. Can you? They don't have guns. They don't have. What, they're, they're picking up a stone and throwing it. At the, they, they can't shoot this lion, right? They, so, and, and what's the text say? Is the lion phased by it? No. Right. You know. So you're out there. You're waving. You're doing everything you can to get the lion's attention. You can see it moving towards one of your sheep. You know, shepherds, right? It's moving towards one of your sheep. It's getting ready to take it. It's gonna, and you, and all you shepherds are running around. You know that that lion can just engulf you, so you're keeping your distance, but you're doing everything you can to protect this sheep. Yeah. Now that's the image that he creates for. They're they're yelling, they're hollering, stop, stop. They're blowing whistles. They're distracting him. You can throwing small sticks at the lion, and then what's the text say? Not to be scared. That's the Lord. Yeah. The Lord is the lion. And he's going to be alone. And in the same way that the shepherds have no ability to stop the, what? The lion. The lion yeah. When God determines to take his vengeance on those that are inflicting vengeance on his people, are they going to be able to stop him? No. No. I mean, that's the incredible imagery in the text. Or subdued by their noise. They're so... So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. In the same way that the shepherds cannot keep the lion from taking the prey, no matter how much they yell, no matter how much they they holler, it it, it doesn't matter. When God Almighty, when the the King of Kings, when the Lord of Lords, when the Lion of Judah, when, when God himself decides that it's time to inflict vengeance... All the yelling by anybody's not going to stop him. You, you, that, that's the message of the text. And it seems to have a dualistic point to it. Like, it could be right there at that time of judgment or any time of judgment against anyone that he chooses. And it also alludes to the final judgment of his return. He says... To establish his throne. Because we know he's supposed to return and that kind of conquest manner. When it says Lord of hosts, that also um, tells me it's, it makes me think of his army. You know, so right, which is why the CSB translates it armies. Yeah, the Lord coming with, with his legion of angels. So if we can just kind of walk the dog on this text. So in verse number one, what has Israel decided to do? 
Right, so they're, they, they've relocated out of the promised land. They went down to Egypt, and they were relying on Egypt's superpower status to protect them. Right? That's Okay? But, but they're failing to acknowledge that God is wise. God can bring disaster. He doesn't relent on what he says. He will rise up against the house of the wicked, against the allies of the evildoers. And then look at this parallel structure. We're building a chart right now. What are Egyptians? Men. Yeah. And, and opposing the men is God. God. And they are what? Flesh. And God is spirit. spirit. You know, see, that, 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 that's the parallel structure that you want. When the Lord raises his hand to strike, the helper will stumble, the one who is helped will fall, both will perish together. <coughs> This is what the Lord said to me. This is what Yahweh said to me. As a lion or a young lion growls over its prey, when a band of shepherds is calling out, is not subdued by their shouting. And then verse 5, we, we change animals. <coughs> like hovering birds, so the Lord of armies will protect Jerusalem. By protecting it, he will rescue it. By passing over it, he will deliver it. Return to the one the Israelites have greatly rebelled against. For on that day, every one of you will reject the worthless idols of silver and gold that your own hands have sinfully made. What day is this? What is the day that he's talking about in the context of this chapter? What day is this? Return to the one the Israelites have greatly rejected. Someone else read verse 6. Let's hear how your translation renders verse 6. Return to him from whom you have deeply defected, O sons of Israel. Okay, yeah, him. All right, anybody else? Is that our two options? Turn to him. To him. Him, him, yep. Anybody have an uppercase letter? Yeah, yeah. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. And you're him. What is your uppercase? Is it an uppercase? Yeah, yeah. I wish the CS bed had followed that because I don't. <laughs> They have one, but they have a lowercase o. And I don't think it stands out to you as much as the message of the text. Now, the LSB actually has the capital H, and then right next to that, I got the CSB. And so it replaced the, the LSB and CSB are completely different. You've got that little O1 versus the LSB, which is capital H. And yeah, that's the Legacy Standard Bible, right? Yeah. Do you like it? Uh, I've been just, I've enjoyed the difference. Yeah. You have them as a parallel Bible, you're saying? Or you yeah, just yeah, have was, yeah, I've got them on blue letter. Oh, yeah. on blue letter. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that uppercase H gets your attention, doesn't it? Return to him. The Israelites have greatly rebelled against. <clears throat> For on that day, every one of you will reject the worthless idols of silver and gold that your own hands have sinfully made. So what day is that? Let's identify that day. And I don't mean in a futuristic way. I mean, in the context of this prophetic woe, what day is he talking about? The day the destruction comes. Yep. By whom? It would have to be Babylon. Yeah. If we're talking about Jerusalem. Right. Here this time. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know that from Ezekiel. Right. So they thought that the alliance that they created with Egypt was going to be sufficient to protect them. Or, or is it, I'm still going back to the, because um, this hasn't happened yet when the Syrians attack Jerusalem, 
um, or tried to, Sennacherib tried to attack Jerusalem. Is it, was it that day when the Lord protected them and killed 185,000? Well, it says, Then Assyria will fall, not by human sword. A sword will devour him, but not one made by man. He will flee that sword. I mean, certainly Sennacherib went back to but Assyria. That, but that was an angel that did it. And yeah. we're talking about the Lord of hosts. Well, well, the CSB note says in verse 8, God is the real reason for Assyrian fall. He will use Babylon for this task, but God is the one who will give Babylon the victory. That's one note. Does anyone else have a note on verse number 8? Look at your study notes. Anybody else have a note on anything? I'm, I'm starting to trust my notes. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> Just read them discerningly. Is that John McCarthy then? No, this is the, uh, the difference. Oh. It's R.C. Sproul, but I mean, even the verse four, um, the verse four note that they have. Uh, when I read it again, I interpreted verse four as it's the Lord was a lion. That's kind of how I read it. But when I read the note at the bottom, uh, yeah, it had him as a. It just it seemed off. It seemed off in the note. What's it say? Uh, the Lord. So the, it says, "Not lion, not terrified." The Lord has determined as a lion. He is not scared away by human adversaries. Assyrian kings likened themselves to lions, proverbial for the strength and the ferocity. Um, but when I read it, there was something when I was reading it and we were talking about it. It just seemed, it seemed like it was the inverse to me when I was reading it. Yep. Anyone else have a note as to who they think that verse 8 is, whether it's the early destruction of Assyria or that we're talking about Babylon? What do you think, Chris? Mindset. <clears throat> King James says, then shall the Assyrian fall. Pretty clear cut then. And I just says Assyrians. I'm reading the David Guzik commentary and it says, this was fulfilled exactly. The Assyrian army devastated almost the entire land of Judah and camped on the outskirts of Jerusalem waiting to conquer the nation by defeating the capital city. But in 2 Kings um, 19 describes how God simply sent the angel of the Lord and killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Angel of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. When, when the people were there were 185,000 dead Assyrians. Um, God was more than able to protect Judah and Jerusalem. Okay. I think it could be either. Yeah, sure. Interesting. Yep. But the point of the text is, is obvious, whether it's this one or it's that one. The point is that Israel needs to realize that it should not rely on what? Egypt. Yeah, or any alliance. Or any alliance. Yeah. Anything yeah. other than God. Yeah. Go ahead, Jack. This verse was used in World War One, interestingly, though. Which one? Seven, eight? Uh, five. Okay. The commanding general of the British armies, when he rolled up to the Ottoman Turks, they locked themselves in behind the walls of Jerusalem. And rather than shell the city, because the three monotheistic religions claim uh, holy land to it, and he didn't want to tick off all the monotheistic religions, he wrote the king. He wrote the war office and said, what should I do? And they said, ask the king. So he wrote the king, and the king wrote back your decision. So he went into prayer and reading his Bible and came across this. So what he did was is he wrote up a message in all the languages that could possibly be in Jerusalem and said, we're surrounding the cities. No supplies will come in. No one will escape out. 
and we're not leaving until you surrender. And if you surrender, you may keep your weapons and you may leave. And they flew planes over every day, dropping the leaflets over and over and over again. It was the first use of psychological warfare. And they dropped it in the city. And after 10 days, the Ottoman Turks surrendered and they left the city and the British became in to occupy it without a single destruction destruction of any building within Jerusalem. So you're saying the hovering birds were no, the planes? No, no, no. He, he, used, he actually read that verse oh. and he journaled after reading that verse. He thought of birds, so he paralleled it to planes and decided to, what if I dropped leaflets, leaflets out? Hmm. I have a interesting thing I sure. to bring up. It was just an interesting way he drew a parallel to help yep. himself. I looked at the word for young lions in there. I wanted to see how it was being used. Right. And typically, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and I think a couple other ones, everyone that you find, it's, using, it's being used of a king who's not godly, who's brutal. Uh, in fact, uh, there's a, there is a, uh, in Ezekiel 19, let me back up some in the... Uh, there's this whole thing where it says, uh, starting in verse one, moreover, I take up uh, take up lamentations for the princes of Israel. So these are the princes of Israel. It says, and say, what is your mother, a lioness? And she lay down among the lions, and among the young lions she nourished her cubs, and she brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion, and that was um, uh, Josiah's son, uh, Jehoshaphat. I think it is. Anyways. And all of the ones that are examples like that are not good. So, but it's, I think if it is like that, uh, you know, if it is translated like that or interpreted like that, it doesn't change the message, which is that it could be looked at as, hey, the the young lions, um, the Syrians come out and they come to attack. Uh, you as the shepherds are coming out to try to wave, but it's not going to be effective. So the Lord Himself has to come down and protect uh, Israel. Just a thought. Yep. All right, nine. His rock. <clears throat> let's let's unpack his rock. How do y'all think? What what's going on with that? His rock in verse number nine. His rock will pass away because of fear, and his officers will be afraid because of the signal flag. All right. What does your translation have? What are the Varieties out there that we have of that. Syrian king. You have Syrian king? Though the reference isn't usually the rock is probably a reference to the Assyrian king. Okay. So it's their stronghold will fall because of terror. Yes. Oh, you have nine, you're saying stronghold? It says their stronghold will fall because of terror. What translation is that, Drew? The NIV. The NIV, their stronghold. New King James says, He shall cross over to his stronghold for fear. Anybody else? Anybody else? What do you got? What do you got? I got rock, stronghold. What else? His rock shall pass away in terror. Rock, stronghold. Anybody else? Well, if so, is that a reference to where the Assyrian king fled and did his own? People oh, this born? is cool. What do you have, Blake? He didn't die until two years later. So, his son's killed him two years later. So my reference has a cross-reference to Deuteronomy 32. Uh, 30 and 31 and it says Deuteronomy 30 to 30 says how could one 
chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up. Verse 31. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. So I believe that rock would be a reference to God, their protector, their king. His rock will pass away because of fear and his officers will be afraid because of the signal flag. What else do you have? What do you have, Drew, for flag? Uh, at the side of the battle standard, their commanders will panic. Okay, so what's going on here? Let's describe this. That to me is the Assyrian king is going to run away from terror and, and his officers are then going to desert because the Assyrian king left. Okay, what do y'all think? This is not a very, like, established thought, but... Uh, that's a oh, caveat. You understand what kind of a caveat <laughs> that is? It's an excuse for a bad morning. Right, that means, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> this is the... We're hitting the, the rails of the morning. Heresy here, but um, <laughs> the rails of heresy. You okay. put, you put can, the bumpers up for bowling. Yeah. Can you uh, can you edit that in the uh, live webcast, please? Potentially. No. Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. All right. So his, <laughs> don't stoning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his, his rock will pass away because of panic, and his princes will be terrified. Standard. I think. I think. I'm thinking spiritual warfare there. Some type of you know powerful spiritual being and God is addressing his rock, that king uh, will die because of panic and his princes and referencing Daniel chapter 10 um, will be terrified at the standard declares the Lord whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem I agree you think Passaway is dead? I think the authority is dead and I see it from the Deuteronomy 32 chapter. I see it from the 32 Deuteronomy 32 8 worldview. Or, or is it 28-32? You know what I'm you know what I'm talking about. Yes, but I don't want to know if I want to join you or not. I don't know if I want to be an I'll ally. The so, 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 so don't but what I'm think what I'm thinking is, <laughs> is you're, you're talking about the, the Elohim council. And how each one of the sons of God got nation, got a nation, that they were the power behind the earthly king. So when Babel, so when Assyria loses its earthly presence of power, it makes sense that not only does the earthly king fall, but also the the heavenly authority behind it also goes down. That's crazy stuff right there. Because Daniel 7 talks about when Christ comes back as the form of Son of Man and is presented to the entire council, and they're all put to shame. So, as after the fourth kingdom. So, if, if that's the case, in this essence, a rock in this case is always the pedestal of a throne mm. and, and you can see this best when you understand like uh, the 17th Robert the Bruce of Scotland made a deal with Edward Longshanks 
to to uh, forfeit the life of um, William, Wallace. William Wallace in in in, so in fleeing the battlefield and pulling the armies back and leaving Wallace's army alone. But one of the conditions of doing this was that he got to keep his lands. But in the essence of doing it, he had to submit his pedestal to the King of England. And and the King of England, Longshanks, put his pedestal on top of the rock that was Scotland's rock. And they didn't return it until 1998 in a huge ceremony. So England sat on a double-stacked rock until 1998, the official throne did. So this rock pedestal is very real in the essence of, so when we see a rock pass away, we see an earthly authority completely and utterly wiped out, never to return. Well, God is the only one that has to do that, and he does that by the rule and the reigning authorities of heaven and the powers that are behind them. This is like the, the, the king of Tyre, which we know is yeah. described as a being not capable of being in Eden, or is in, present in Eden. And then we have a, uh, a pronouncement against the prince of Tyre, which is truly a human. So, yes, I, 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 I see what Blake is describing. When Assyria, when this happened and Assyria uh, retreated, um, what was the route that they took? God, I don't remember that. Uh, because what's, probably, what's interesting is when I looked at the word for rock or stronghold here, uh, yes, rock uh, or re- place of refuge could be a crag or a cliff or a place to hide. But one of them is it's also used also for Petra. Yep. Uh, which I found was interesting. Uh, I have to look where it, where it said it ultimately. I'm just looking at the uh, Blue Letter Bible, which was um, Hebrew uh, Chaldee Alex, uh, Lexicon. And it says uh, one of the versions is Petra, the chief city of the Edomites, situated between the Dead Sea and the uh, Atlantic Gulf. Uh, in a valley surrounded by, with lofty rocks, so that there are very great parts of abodes where uh, excavated in a rock. Yeah. And as far as the signal flight goes, or the battle standard, every last one of us that have ever been a soldier understands that. What's the purpose of the battle standard? To show you where the, the commander's at. And if the battle standard is leaving the battlefield, in flight. So like, another reference uh, that I missed was same chapter Deuteronomy thirty two thirty seven, and I would be um, hard pressed to say that the translators are probably taking this Hebrew word uh, from thirty two. Why don't you read it? Let's hear it. And it says, and he will say what thirty two thirty seven, and he will say, where are their gods, comma the rock in which they sought refuge. So here he's referring to a spiritual being. Yep. I found the passage in Psalm 82, Jack, but I couldn't find the Deuteronomy reference. Yeah, I'll look it up if you want to take, take the Psalm passage. <clears throat> psalm 82 is a pretty unique psalm if you want to go there for a minute. It's kind of what Jack was talking about. 
with the Deuteronomy worldview. Caleb, you read about this in the Unseen Realm book. Can't remember the Deuteronomy reference, can you? Yeah, what do you got? Like 32.4 also says, The rock, exclamation point, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So that wor- that word's literally through there. Sorry to interrupt. So are you going to keep raising your hand every time you find another Only rock? Whenever you start. <laughs> when I start talking, you're gonna, <laughs> we'll, we'll you We'll be find in the middle of like the sermon <laughs> on Sunday, and you say rock, and Thir- I'll yeah. hand 32.8 when you get done with this song. 32.8. <clears throat> so... How is your translation of Psalm 82? Here's the ESV. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. That's Deuteronomy 82, verse 1. Everyone doesn't agree with that rendering, so I'm curious what you have. ESV. That is really interesting because it very closely follows. And it says... God stands in the assembly of L. An L. An L, capital E. Yeah. L. Okay. In the midst of God's judgment. Yep. Psalm 80 in the CSB, God stands in the divine assembly. He pronounces judgment among the gods. Right. Matthew says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. Yeah, see, that really decides to go a particular way. What do you have, Drew, in the NIV? Yeah, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods with the lowercase g. Yeah, with the lowercase g, right. But the word gods are in quotes. In quotes. Yeah, Elohim. Right, so you, everyone knows that the word is Elohim, right, in this room, and everyone knows that that word can be singular or plural, which makes it so struggle, right? And it can be uppercase or lowercase by a bar. Uh, on the first letter and if you go and you look at that in the blue letter and you go to the uh, reverse linear and you look at it and you compare the two Elohims one to another they differ by that one jot in the essence of the bar is on the capitalized one and the bar is absent on the lowercase one so the first one has the bar God and the Second one does not have the bar, meaning a lowercase reference. All right, what are the implications of this? Why are we even talking about this in the context of, and then Jack, what was the Deuteronomy reference, 32a? Yes, sir. And so why are we talking about this in the context of this chapter? The Council of Gods. Right, the Council of Gods. And and what, what bizarre notion could there be associated with this concept? Because it is, I mean, we're... We're going into what was that? Was it the Twilight Zone show that yeah. that uh, had that unique uh, opening? Yeah, exactly. You know that. Okay, because most of us that was none of it. What? I mean, everyone was just trying to make that sound. Good. <laughs> okay, you're saying it was completely wrong, Sean. Yeah. 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 All of it together sounded good. Okay, so you had it, De- Deborah. All right, let's hear it. There you go. Okay, yeah, did you get that? Okay, Mr. Cameraman, did you get that? Mike, it's like copyright. Yeah, we might, yeah. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have sang happy birthday either without that. We have to come up with our own happy birthday. All right, what is the point of this, though? Let's make sure we get this. What is the point of this? Oh, You got it, Blake? I'm fired up right now. 
He wasn't he, really, here's he, the point. He wasn't here's really because we're off. Yeah, here's the point. <laughs> is that it goes directly into talking about the Messiah in chapter 32 of Isaiah. So, the end of Isaiah ends with talking about this spiritual warfare. And then he says, that rock is passing away, and guess what? This new rock is going, to, the eternal rock is coming, and he is going to bring a kingdom with him that is unlike any other. So, stop trusting in these humans and trust in the one rock who is greater than all others. And that's and chapter 32. That's that's chapter 32 in Isaiah. The reason why we're talking about Deuteronomy and Psalms is because we're looking at this language and you hear me say something like it's talking about spiritual warfare and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, that's because I've had great mentors who have told me how to research my Bible and this is what... Um, this is, these are the places that I gather that information and see these things So uh, at. I don't know if that last part made sense. but What is this divine counsel? What is the potential for this divine counsel? Caleb, even if you don't fully grasp it, what did you take away when you were reading the book? Um, according to Heiser. Right. According to Heiser in the Unseen Realm. There, is a, there are the... Um, Kind of like there's a visible, visible Yahweh and invisible Yahweh that he he had created divine assembly, the unseen Adam, the unseen man, and that uh, he wanted to create a visible manifestation of the image of God through image bearers. And when he did, the divine council rebelled um, in jealousy, and um, so it's it's a group of. Um, Minions, basically, right? And then you counter in the idea of Babel, mm-hmm. where, the, where each of these nations are represented by a god, which Psalm 58 kind of talks about that because it mentions. All right, Psalm 58, everyone. <clears throat> well, I think. Oh, you want to go to Deuteronomy first? I, I think, yeah, before you do that, before you go to Psalm 58, but uh, you got to understand. You didn't read past verse 1 and 82. Okay. And if you read all of 82, it's God speaking to this council, and and he's denouncing what they did. He said, you could have done all of these things for the poor, the oppressed, but instead you you ruled in a way that you actually took advantage of them. And, and so, it, so it's everything that we've seen in the prophecies that every time God is judging a nation, there's been this essence of abuse of the people in this barbaric way of living that brings a judgment. And also, to caveat, in Daniel chapter 9 or 10, yeah. uh, you have this vision where this angel comes and he says I've been held up Mm -hmm. uh, because I've been fighting princes from other nations and that's how we're talking about uh, different demonic entities even uh, angelic entities is a better term that are over certain geographical areas rebellious angelic entities and and, and what he describes is there was a point in time in which he gave them authority but in, in 82, he's saying there's going to come a time when one by one, I'm going to take you out of position because ultimately the visible Yahweh is going to come to reign. And that's what's pictured in Daniel 7. 
Deuteronomy 8, 32 8, is where Moses first gives us that idea. All right, so dirty, first we're going to Deuteronomy 32 8, then we're going to Psalm 58. <clears throat> All right. The, the translations are really what, what you have to pay attention to. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So that's how the ESV renders it. That's a, a poor translation. All right, what other translations do you all have? Sons of Adam. Sons of Adam. Yeah. Anybody else? Children of Israel. Children of Israel. Yeah. Okay. That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> because of verse nine. Yeah. Right. Go ahead and read it. Verse nine says, "But Yahweh's portion is His people, Jacob, His allotted heritage." So this is my understanding, Jack, and you can correct me if if you think that I'm not getting it right. I don't mind because because this is the do it again, Deborah. Yeah, exactly, right. Okay, so here's the idea. That behind this hand is another hand. And this is the visible hand. And this is the invisible hand. And and for every action on the earth with regard to the nations, there is a spiritual action that has happened beforehand or in conjunction with it. And, And at the Tower of Babel, when all the peoples were judged and, and, and separated and allotted, the sons of God or the divine council each got a portion, at which time Yahweh said he's going to create unto himself his own nation. Yeah. Okay. And that nation becomes Israel. So he gives the nations over to the divine council, Babylon, Assyria, whoever those were, and then he, he, he's going to form his own nation. And that nation is the nation that he forms out of Abraham from which his Messiah is going to come. So the, the invisible Yahweh is going to present the visible Yahweh, okay, that being Christ, that being the Messiah. And then we, the church, through the conversion of souls, are taking back the nations for Yahweh one soul at a time. Uh, one salvation testimony time that you know because we're told go into all the nations right and we go in there and we capture those that were given over to the sons of of god we capture them back through the preaching of the gospel and their salvation so that the people of god the true people of god become larger as as they yield to yahweh instead of the gods of the nations and before and before they rejected the Messiah. He used the collective nation Israel. And when Israel was not in good standing with God and they were in the standing of judgment, he used other foreign powers. And the four main ones being Babylon, Syria, the head of gold, the Medes, the Persians, oh, yeah. the Greeks, and, the and then the Romans. Okay. And then they rejected their king and now it's an individual basis that Pastor Sean just described. But before that, even in the 40-year wilderness wandering after they finally crossed over and Joshua led to the conquest, every God himself started it, 
by the Egyptians, he took down every plague took down an Egyptian god. Yeah. yeah. And then when he moved into the promised land, every tribal people he took down represented a they worshipped a god. <laughs> Look at what he did to Dagon. When he separated the stat the statue idol by separating anything that was animalistic and human, and he just ripped the, the idol apart and made it bow before the ark of his presence. And, and so the, the idea, I think, Jack, for me was all this human things that I'm saying, like, hey, here's a stupid stone idol and this physical ark, that is actually a visible representation of a battle happening in the, if I can use the word, skies, or, or behind with your, put your... Behind the veil. Yeah, the unseen realm. that there, and, and you shouldn't be surprised. With this is not weird stuff. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Okay? So, so this is not some like, you have no New Testament support for this. We have no idea the level of behind the scenes. I mean, why can't we all... Remember that? Why can't we all just get along? Right? Why can't we just all get along? You know, after 2,000 years of human history, post-Christ, shouldn't we ever just be able to negotiate and get... No, there is a warfare behind the scenes that, that you know... So Some have asked numerous times because of the current crisis in Israel... Why is there such animosity towards Israel? Like, could you have predicted 18 months ago, 12 months ago, that there would be so much anti-Semitism in the United States? Would anybody have imagined how much anti-Semitism was just like hidden behind the curtain? No, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't imagine that four years ago when Trump was in office, when he brought the um the um. Embassy. Embassy down to Jerusalem, and there was being peace thought of. You never thought there would be like this anti Semitism. That just arose, right, right. Why is there such hatred for Israel? I mean, who cares about Israel and Allah? They're just a tiny little country over there the size of what? New We're Jersey? New Jersey. Right. New Jersey. Right. Very small. Right, exactly. It's not a big deal. And yet, why, why does it have such a. Well, it is this nation that represents Yahweh, even though they no longer have that covenant status, they have that known. Well, this is the God of gods, if I can use that. The Elohim of Elohim, maybe that sounds better to you. Um, the Lord of Lords. Lord of Lord. Right. This is also, I just looked up a bunch of references. It also ties in Job. When um, it says the sons of God come yes. to uh, God and present themselves, right? But yeah, I thought so I, was, two- I was going to say that uh, Satan came before me and says, "That's like sure, I'm just wandering around, just looking and so forth." And then God presents somebody before him. I thought of two other things. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, two other things that were very interesting. I came across this in my reading, and I was in First Chronicles, I think it's twenty or twenty-one. And all of a sudden, it just dips into like this spiritual side of things that I hadn't seen before. Maybe I looked right over it. And it's like uh, Satan comes and he tempts David to uh, count the people. Count the people. Yep. But I think what I read before, you don't see that part of it. I don't, I don't know if it shows that in uh, Kings. I think it shows it in um, Chronicles that that happened. And then, uh, and then also uh, in Kings where God is meeting with 
a group of spiritual beings. I'm not sure who they are. If they're the who's going to deceive? Who's going to go and uh, well, who's going to persuade Ahab to whatever? And then one of them says, "I will deceive him." Yeah, that's, a lying that's spirit. Why, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why Heiser yeah. opens his book and saying, "Well, permits an invitation to read your Bible again for the first time." Yeah, and because it, it changes and, your perception. Of and how Pastor, you if you go to Daniel, se- Daniel chapter seven. Before or after Psalm 58? I think you should go before. <laughs> All right. And the, re- the reason why I say this is... Psalm 58 is next week. Okay, go okay. ahead. Daniel 7. The reason why I say this is if we start in verse 9 and go to verse 14, it has massive ramifications of why they wanted to crucify Christ. Sure. All right. Verse 9, chapter 7 of Daniel. Hurry up. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed, his body destroyed, and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching the night visions, and suddenly, one like a son of man was coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him, He, that Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Amen. Right, so I think I hear you saying, Jack, that the Divine Council sees that none on the Divine Council are going to get that spot. and Yahweh. that's why they're fighting so hard to prevent the Messiah from coming. And I think if Israel, ethnic Israel plays any role today, it's their still rejection of Christ. Well, and it's the warfare going. And Isaiah 32 talks about that king, that son of man. That we're going to get there next week. Mm-hmm. Can I throw something in last minute? Yeah, of course Buster you can. Peter. So, uh, in, to talk about what you're saying with Paul referencing the spiritual battle in Ephesians, Ephesians three also says, um, whatever he's talking about, three eight says, "To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for which uh, for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made." Uh, known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So part of that Blake was that the divine council was hoping by corporately rejecting that they could overthrow the sovereign plan of God. So God kept it a mystery on purpose to where no one understood the cryptic prophecies to the point to where Satan thought he actually won. And now the church is there smack in the face. Right? That's why it's a mystery because God sovereignly kept it a mystery to the forces of darkness. That's awesome. 
This is amazing. Especially when you think about the number of times that Christ talks cryptically through the Gospels. You know. Say again, Deborah. Oh, I was just thinking, oh, is that amazing? I was just reading about that in Matthew this morning, so that was Yeah. I was thinking... All right, that that wraps us up. I don't, y'all aren't going to come back, are you? I mean, this is too bizarre of a church room. <laughs>